Thank you, Gloria. Beautiful rendition of Silent Night, Holy Night. Oh, what a night that was. Wouldn't you have liked to be back in those times where you could have seen it with your own eyes? If you could have seen all those scenes of the shepherds, the wise men, the birth of our king in Bethlehem's manger and all the things that went on. But we have better vision, don't we? We have it by faith, and we have seen the Savior. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, celebrate Christmas like no one else in the world. The world, it's about Santa Claus. It's about Christmas gifts and lights and trees and decorations. And there's nothing wrong with those things. It celebrates the birth of our Savior. But the true meaning is that he came to love us and he came to die for us and to give us eternal life. Shall we just look to him in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will speak to our hearts today through your Holy Spirit and through your word. We pray, Lord, that we will listen. We will have ears to listen, eyes to see. We pray we'll have hearts to absorb what you'd have for us today. And we thank you for our risen and glorified Savior who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we honor him and exalt him. And this Christmas season, it is all about Jesus. He is the reason for the season. He is our King. He is our Savior and our Lord. And we pray that we will spread the news that Jesus saves. And Lord, just please hide me behind the cross and pray that you will be glorified today, that your word would come alive in our hearts. If there's anyone here who doesn't know the Savior today, they will not leave this auditorium before receiving Christ. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, one of the greatest titles of the Lord Jesus Christ is King. He is the king. That means he's the ruler. He's the sovereign. He's over all things. He was yet a child, yet, yet a king. He was born for this purpose. And I looked at our hymn book, and we have a lot of hymns from number 121 all the way through past the 150s, and, and they're all Christmas hymns, and they're great hymns. If you count them, 17 of them mention Christ as king in it. 17 hymns, that's a lot. And sometimes in one hymn, it'll mention the word king more than once. And you know, in the world today, there's only 25 monarchs left that are either kings or queens. We know about the Queen of England, we know about the King of Saudi Arabia, and there's, many, there's quite a few of them. There's 25 altogether. They're earthly monarchs. They're fallible, imperfect rulers. Jesus Christ is the perfect king. He rules in a way of perfection and righteousness and holiness over the whole world, over the whole universe. But I'd like to ask you a question. And just raise up your hand. Have you ever met a king on earth? Have you ever met a queen on earth? Have you ever sat down with one and talked to them personally? Had they ever taken an interest in you? Anybody met a king, queen? No, I didn't think. What? Oh, one, Dr. Rudy. <clears throat> Newfoundland, she came right by, just two feet in front of us. But did you meet her? Did you talk to her? Did you get a chance to say hello? <laughs> this is my point. On earth, you can't get close to these, these monarchs. You can't 
You can't get an appointment with them. You can't get to know them. Even presidents or emperors or, or uh, prime ministers, you, you just can't. And sometimes we put these people on, on pedestals, right? We think of them as somehow superhuman. And, and they, like we mentioned this morning, they get the special treatment when their babies are born and they live in the palace and so forth like this. But you know, it's kind of funny. Sometimes you meet celebrities, you see them on TV, right? It might be a newscaster or a sportscaster or a sports personality. And you know, I always say to myself, boy, I don't say it to them, but you look different than you do on TV, right? Because they put all this makeup on on TV and they look so sharp and the cameras are on them and, and the lights and everything. You meet them in person, you say, they look a lot different, a lot different. And so too, when we think and when we put, we put our celebrities up on a, on a high pedestal, but they're imperfect, they're sinful, just like we are. But thanks be to God that we don't have a monarchy, we have a theocracy. Now the difference between a monarchy and a theocracy is this. A monarchy means the king rules or a queen rules over the people. But a theocracy means God rules over the people. And it reminds us of the time when the people of Israel came to Samuel and they said, give us a king like all the other nations. We want a king to rule over us and fight our battles and, and protect us and help us. And Samuel was so discouraged because they rejected God's being over them. And the Lord told him, Samuel, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And how many people today are rejecting Christ as the king of their lives? It's sad to see it. But we thank God for those of us as believers that he rules and reigns in our lives. The title of our message today is Jesus Christ, the king of everything. Jesus Christ, the king of everything. And we're going to look at three things from the scriptures. For number one, he is the king of Israel. Number two, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And number three, he is our king. He's your king and he's my king. And that's probably the most practical and important part of the message that we have today. I like this poem I found that says this. Full many a king a golden crown has worn but only one diadem of thorns. Many a king has sat on a jeweled throne, but only one hung, hung on the cross alone. Through garland-gay streets cheered by the crowd, great kings have ridden, one with his head bowed. Beneath the burden of his cross passed on to die on Calvary, one king but one. All other kingdoms passed, are passing now, save his who wore the bramble on his brow. Jesus is a different kind of king. He didn't come at this time when he came to Bethlehem to reign. He came to die. He came to die on the cross for our sins. One day, though, he's coming back to reign. And he's going to reign with a rod of iron. And he's going to reign over the whole world. And the Bible says that Every knee shall bow to him. Of those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
But if you wait till that day, it's going to be too late. We have to bow before him now. We have to accept him as our Lord and our Savior and our King now while the age of grace is still going on. Because if we wait, we won't have that chance. So let's look at the first point this morning. Jesus is the King of Israel. Now Israel knew from the scriptures, especially those who knew the word, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew the word, they knew the teaching from the Bible. They knew that Messiah would come. They knew he would be born in Bethlehem. They knew that he would be their Messiah and he would come. And there's many scriptures, many scriptures that he fulfilled in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms and the, and the prophets. And so they knew. And so when the wise men came, the, they say three wise men, the Magi, we don't know how many exactly they were, probably three, we'll say for sake of argument, there were three, and they brought their gifts, and they came to Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 2 in verses 1 and 2, and they said this, where is he? Now it says, now after the, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. To me, that's amazing. Here were these Gentiles, these people that came from the east, learned men, educated men, people that studied the stars and astrology, and they followed that star, and God put it in their hearts to follow that star right to where they needed to be. But they came and said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Now, they probably expected Herod and all of Jerusalem to be aware of what was going on, but they weren't. Herod didn't know where he was, and yet Herod felt threatened, threatened by that because he was a king, and he was threatened by a newborn king, and he felt threatened by it. So he told them, you go and search for him, and when you find him, come back and bring me word, and I'll come and worship him too. The man was a liar. The man was a thief. He was a, basically corrupt all through his entire body. Herod was one of the most wicked kings. He had no intention of going and worshiping Jesus. He came, he didn't believe and want to honor him as the Messiah. He wanted to do what? Kill him. So he sent out orders through all the land to kill all the little baby boys around that age, around two and a half years old at that point. And they went out and killed them. And it was sad, sad day in Israel. But he came. And they came with excitement and they came with joy. And it says, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. We're going to sing some beautiful Christmas carols with the worship team on Wednesday. And one of them is that, that one that we oftentimes sing. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. You know, when Jesus comes into your life, you have exceedingly great joy. Not just great joy, but exceedingly great joy. A joy that exceeds any other joy you've ever had in your life. Maybe you had a baby, or you became parents, and you witnessed a baby born into this world, You're, and you held that baby in your arm. Joy. Maybe you had some other joyous occasion in your life, some honor, some acknowledgement. You know what? 
it can't compare to the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is a joy that goes way beyond because it's a joy inside of us that's not based on our circumstances. We can be going through the most horrific circumstances, trials and pain and difficulty, and yet we still have the joy. And when I was so sick on Friday night, I could barely make it through Bard and back home to my car and everything. I was in such a pain and hurting and everything. I was calling upon the Lord. I said, Lord, I need your grace to make it. I need your grace. And I was trusting in him. And we all have to do that. But we have the joy. When we have Jesus, we have the joy. And it doesn't matter what the world says or what the world does. We have Jesus. We know the true meaning of Christmas, that it's about his birth into the world to die for our sins. And so when these three wise men, we'll say there were three, came from the east, they brought gifts to the king. They brought gifts of gold, and they brought gifts of frankincense, and they brought gifts of myrrh. And each one of those is significant. Now, I'm sure you know, if you've been in this church, you know what each one of those mean. Gold means deity, and it speaks of Christ's deity, that he is fully God. And he is, and he was, and he always will be. And frankincense speaks of his humanity, the beautiful fragrance of Christ's humanity. Never had anyone spoken like him. No one had ever lived a sinless life like he had lived. His life was one of frankincense. It gave off the fragrance of God. So when people came into his presence, they realized they were in the presence of God. And then the third one, interestingly enough, is myrrh. And myrrh is a bitter, bitter thing. And so it speaks about his sufferings on the cross. Hmm. Now, how did they know to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh? It just happened? Well, it didn't just happen. God orders, and God directs, and God orchestrates things for his own glory. So they would bring these gifts so that we could be blessed by the meaning of each one of them, that all speaks of the perfect life and ministry of Christ and how he went to the cross and died for our sins. God directed us. And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ knows everything about everybody. That's why I say Jesus Christ is the king of everything. One day when Nathaniel was with Philip, his friend, Philip introduced him to the Messiah. And he said, come and see. He said, come and see. And so Nathaniel, he had told him first, he said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Think of the most despised city in the world you could ever think of, and, it would, and then it wouldn't even be coming close to what they considered Nazareth. It was like the worst of the worst. And so Nathaniel naturally thinks, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? But all Philip said was, come and see. Just see him for yourself. Just listen to him for yourself, and you'll see what I'm talking about. We have found the Messiah. And so it says in John chapter 1, verses 48 to 51, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Philip, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's amazing. I really like Nathaniel because, and I spoke on him one time before, it's really amazing because his whole attitude changed as soon as Jesus said, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you because he knew he was buried under that fig tree that no human being could have seen him under that fig tree. But Jesus, because Jesus knows all things. Jesus is the king of everything and he knew it. He knew all about his life. He even said, behold an Israelite who is without guile or without deceit. He knew everything about him, and he was awed by it. And Jesus said, if you're going to believe that, you're going to see even greater things than that when I come to reign. I also like that story where in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 5, we have the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, if you were a king, tell me, would you want to ride into, into a city on a donkey, maybe a thoroughbred horse, maybe, maybe one that's decorated with all the royal gala of the, of the empire or whatever, maybe something like that, but a donkey? But it tells us in Scripture why he did that, and he fulfilled that. It says, Matthew 21 and verse 5, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly, sitting on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus came the first time, he came in humbleness. He came in meekness and humility. He was the son of God and he was the son of man. And yet he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's amazing what the Savior did for us. He is the king of Israel. He is the king of the Jews. He is the king. And praise be to God for that. Even Pilate came to understand that Jesus was the king when he spoke to him in the 18th chapter of John because he had heard that Jesus was called the king of the Jews and he was curious. He wanted to know, are you a king? Are you really a king? And it says in John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37, then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, and he asked him this question, are you the king of the Jews? Is he going to admit it? Wait and see. And then he said, Jesus answered, he says, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you about this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered and he said this, and this is the key part here. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You know, I think Pilate, down deep, 
sensed that there was somebody in front of him that he had never spoke to before. He had probably examined many criminals, many people that were brought before him, Jewish people that had committed crimes against Rome and rebelled against the authority of Rome. But there was something different about him. And later on, it says, Pilate told them, why do you want to crucify him? What evil has he done? I will just scourge him and let him go. But they demanded that he be crucified. And we're thankful that he came to be crucified for our sins so that he might save us. And when it came time to write a superscription over the cross, Pilate wrote these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the Jews went to him and said, don't say he's the king of the Jews. Say he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. God sealed it in heaven, all these things that came to pass. Jesus is the king of Israel. Jesus is the king of the Jews. But he's more than that as well. So our second point today is he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Mike, you alluded to Handel's Messiah. And one of my favorite parts of the Messiah is when they get to the end and they're singing the hallelujah chorus. I mean, it, it, it gives you goosebumps. And I believe it was the queen, there was a queen of England at that time who was the first one when Handel's Messiah was performed. She stood up. And all the people stood up. They were amazed by the words because Handel's words were taken from scripture and his beautiful music that he wrote. And so she stood up and all the people that stood up. And do you know to this day, in every performance of the Messiah, people still stand up. They may not know why they're standing. They may not know where that comes from. It may not affect them because they're not born again. But they stand up in, re in reverence of it. It's amazing. And Jesus is the eternal king. He's the king whose reign shall never end. All of those 25 monarchs that are alive are going to one day die. They're going to face death. They're going to put them down six feet under, and they're going to be gone. And maybe next year there won't be 25. Maybe it'll be less and less and less. But Jesus reigns forever and ever. Hallelujah. And he... His reign never ceases. And one of my favorite verses on this, and it's, a, it's really what it is, it's a benediction that Paul gives in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. These words are the most eloquent, glorious, beautiful words that Paul maybe has ever written about the Lord. He says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What words. Now to the king eternal. And can you imagine, maybe you'll on earth never get a chance to meet a king or a queen or a president or anything like that, but guaranteed when you're saved, you have a personal relationship with a king. And one day you're going to meet your king face to face in heaven and be with him. And the king is going to say, I love you. I died for you. I made it possible for you to be here. And he loves us so much. And thank God for that. Because these words, they're so powerful. And one day, as I mentioned already, he's going to rule the world with a rod of iron, it 
says. It's amazing. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And whenever you see it written, you'll see it written king with a capital K. He's king of kings with a small k. Of all these 25 monarchs, of all the kings that ever lived, they've all died and perished so far in this world. They're kings with a little k. They're lords with a little l. He's king with a big capital K, and he's lord with a capital L. He stands above. He rises above every other king, every other ruler, because his is a perfect, righteous rule. He's perfectly just and perfectly fair in his word. And in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15, as we get close to the end of the Bible, it says where the Lord Jesus Christ is coming at the end of the tribulation, and he's coming with us, his saints, who have gone to be with him at the rapture. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that, he should, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh written, King of kings and Lord of lords in big letters. You know, as I've gotten older, I appreciate the big letters. I don't know about you, but it's nice to have them a little bit larger, right? Our brother Dave was sharing about sometimes we need magnifiers. We need glasses to see better. We need magnifying glasses and so forth. I appreciate that. Large print Bibles and so forth. But he puts it in large words of emphasis. King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a hymn that uh, was written a number of years ago, a song. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, hallelujah. King of kings and Lord of lords, glory, hallelujah. Jesus, king of kings, glory, hallelujah. He is the king. There's a story told of one of the uh, gentlemen in England, the Duke of Windsor, who was about to be married. He was going to be, he would be married and become king, but to do it, he have to give up his sweetheart, who was an American socialite and divorcee and the whole thing. And so he had to give up his kingdom. He had to be, take off the royal robes and no longer have that aspiration ever again of being king. He set it aside because of someone he loved. But on the case of Jesus, he set aside his royal vesture and came down to this world and took upon himself garments of a slave, garments of a servant. And he did the Father's will. He went throughout his whole life humbly serving. And when it came time in the upper room, he got down on his hands and knees and washed the disciples' feet. Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. You're not going to wash. He says, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part in it. He says, and then he says, well, wash my body, my hands, and, and things. He says, no, all you need is to have your feet washed because everything else has been cleansed. And so may the Lord encourage us. But here was this man who had given up his coronation, given up his crown and his rule. And our Lord Jesus Christ, in a sense, also put off his own coronation to become the Savior of Calvary and to die on the cross for our sins. Instead of being crowned a king, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Instead of being welcomed into their, into their synagogues and temples and, 
And instead of being worshipped and adored as they should have done for him, they mocked him. They ridiculed him. They said, crucify him. And they rejected him. It's an amazing thing. And truly, Jesus is king over everything. He was born to be a king, and he died to be a king. And he was born to die on the cross for our sins. Sometimes we sing that song by the Gaithers, which is one of my favorites. And the chorus says, the king is coming, the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming, the king is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. Just think how long they waited for the Messiah to come the first time. And we as Christians are waiting too. We are waiting in expectation. We are waiting in faith that one day he's going to call. He's, there's going to be the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we're waiting for the king to come. And what a king is coming. He is coming to take us home. And we're going to be with him forever. Sometimes on Wednesday nights with the worship team, we sing that song that says, Mighty is our God. Mighty is our King. Mighty is our Lord. Ruler of everything. You look out into the world today and you see the world in such chaos. There needs to be a ruler. And that's why Satan's going to come in and bring his counterfeit ruler. The Antichrist is going to come after we're gone at the rapture. And he's going to try to unite everything, but he's, a, he's an imitator. He's a counterfeiter. And the only true king is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will come and put down all rule and all authority. It says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then our third point today is he is our king. Our king. Your king and my king. It's practical. He wants us to be his subjects. He wants us to be his servants. And he wants us to be his stewards of what he's given to us. And we're privileged to call him king and to make him ruler of everything. And you know, when God created the heart, he created it with a little vacuum there that there was something missing in the human heart. And that one thing that's missing is Jesus Christ. Now, when you have Christ in your heart, you're complete. But if you don't have him in your heart, you're not complete. You're not saved. And so that's why in every human heart, there's a throne set up. And for most people, who's on the throne of their heart? They are on their own throne. They're the captain of their own ship. They're the captain of their own destiny. And how sad is that, to be the ruler of your own destiny? But when we give... We abdicate the throne. We have to abdicate the throne, take ourselves off the throne and say, Lord, here's my heart. I give it to you 100%. Hold nothing back. You, Lord, sit in authority over my heart, over my life. I want you to lead me and be my Lord and be my king. And when we do that, we have such peace, such joy, and such encouragement. One of the songs we sing at the breaking of bread is so beautiful in this aspect where it says, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, 
lead me to Calvary. We should never forget when we see the crown, beautiful crown on the Lord's head, that he once wore the crown of thorns for us, and he died in our place. And you know one thing the Lord will never do? He'll never force his way in. He'll never make you do it. He'll never compel you to do it. But he gives you the choice. That's why it says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him or have fellowship with him and he with me. He waits for us to open the door of our hearts to him. Have you opened to the king this morning? Have you opened the heart, your heart's door to the Savior? You know, on your heart, there's a door knob on the inside only. There's no doorknob on the outside. He never will force his way in. He waits till you say, I'm ready, Lord. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want you to take over the throne of my life. And when we do that, our lives will be extremely blessed. Jesus is king of everything. And Jesus is my king. He's your king. Psalm 45 verse 1 says this. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. The psalmist was looking at that and saying, I have so many things to say about the Lord. I have so many things to write about the Lord. I want to tell everybody about the Lord. My tongue is like the pen of a ready writer. And when we have the king in our life, we want to tell others about it too. It is a blessing. There was a story told of a dead airman when they found his body during World War II, they found these words among his body and among his possessions. Listen to what it says. What he wrote is incredible. He says this, Those who are called by an earthly king are bidden to meet with the great, who are asked to dine at the royal court in earthly splendor and state. They come from his presence with face alight, with a proud and a lifted head. They are eager to tell what they saw and heard and repeat what the great one said. But we who have supped with the king of kings have eaten the heavenly bread. Are we eager to say what we saw and heard and tell what the king hath said? Are we proud that the king has called us friends and bidden us to seek his face? Do we tell the world of his matchless love? Do we speak of his wondrous grace? This was by an airman who died in World War II that carried this around with him and that blessed our hearts in 2018. Amazing. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's not only that, he's the king of Israel, he's the king of the Jews, he's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he's our king. He is my king and your king. And when we can have a personal relationship with him, that is the most fantastic thing. Someone once said this about the king. He said, my king was born king. The Bible says that he is the seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews. That is a racial king. He is the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he ends it by saying this, now that 
is my king. Is he your king today? Have you accepted him as your Lord and as your Savior? Is all your allegiance to him above anyone else and anything else? Then you can truly say, Jesus Christ is king over everything. So let's remember, he is the king of Israel. He is the king of the Jews. He was born the king to die for our sins, and he is born to reign. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and we can rejoice in that. And he's our king. He's our personal king, our personal lord, our personal savior. We can talk to him 24-7 in times that are good or times that are bad, and he wants us to surrender fully to his will and let him be the king over our lives. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, your king, that you have installed over Zion, that you have installed over this world and over the universe. Lord, you are king, Lord Jesus, of everything. And we're thankful that you would love us so much as to have time for us, first of all, to save us from our sins, and then to spend time with us, we can't even take it in. And one day, Lord, we're going to enter heaven, and we're going to see all the great sights of heaven, and yet we're not going to want to see anything or anyone before we see you, because you are the king. You're the king that died for our sins, the king that's coming back again, and the king that will rule forever and ever. Lord, help us to live lives that are pleasing to you, Help us to enthrone you as the king of our hearts and to be a blessing. And Lord, may you direct us and guide us in everything we do. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.